there was this girl that I really liked in college. Jenny's not in here, right? Okay, so <laughs> she had a gorgeous tan. She wore these drifter sweaters that accentuated her neckline. And I wanted to spend time with her. I, I really did. And, but I was scared. I was scared of girls in general because I had been burned freshman year. I had made myself go out on dates. There was Stephanie, the volleyball player, the one who went on summer missions every summer. And then, you know, on the date was, so, Stephanie, how was your week? Fine. And you know I'm such a great conversationalist. Or Back then, I stunk at conversation, and so that date was like, you know, you know, <laughs> crash and burn. Then there was Jenny from Georgia. Jenny from Georgia talked so fast. I felt like I was in a wormhole, and everything was, and ships were coming at me, and, you know, what do you think? Uh, could you repeat what you just said, only slower? <laughs> and so I just, I had kind of gotten burned with girls, but I thought this girl was different, and I was smitten. And my roommate, my roommate, I really liked her, and I wanted to ask her out, but I was just scared. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. And so my roommate, being six foot four and 200 pounds plus, simply pinned me to the dorm room floor and said, Max Vanderpool, I am not letting you up unless you ask her for a date or you stop flirting. <laughs> I know. I was like, can I get up to Britain? No. And, and so I agreed, and I, I asked her out for a date, and it went really well. And two years later, I married her. It is Jenny. Kaboom. I married her. I married her. Um, but there have been, you're going to have things in your life where the outcome, the outcome is not certain. The outcome, there's, you know, you're like, is this going to play out well? Is this not going to play out well? You're going to have things in your life where uh, there's an uphill battle. You have a kid, your kid has some needs, and it looks like the teacher doesn't get it, the school doesn't get it, and you're, you know, constantly going to bat, or you got a job, and your boss doesn't get it, and you're like, you know, I explained this to him, I explained this to him, and, you know, and so it's like an uphill battle, uphill battle. There, and it's going to, sometimes it's going to be something that you, that you really want, you know, a job, a decision, a move, any number of things. Sometimes it's going to be something that God really wants you to do. And on the inside, you're going to be scared, you're going to be apprehensive, and you're going to be uncertain. At the end of seminary for me, I had professors that were saying, Max, you need to go on for a doctoral program. Max, you need to go on for a doctoral program. So I applied to two doctoral programs. It was supposedly a slam dunk deal, and neither program accepted me. Closed door. Jenny and I, in 2000, decided we're ready to have another kid. What were we thinking? And we, you know, we're ready to have another kid. And so we, you know, started trying and got pregnant right away. I was like, wow, that, you know, was not even trying, you know. <laughs> I feel robbed. And so, uh, so that pregnancy, that pregnancy went south really quick. And she was sick, like really sick and bedridden sick. And so, and it, w it, it went the whole pregnancy. In fact, it was so hard that Jillian's middle name is Hope because we were hoping something good would come out of something really, really bad. It did. It did. And so, uh, 
I'm, you know, all through the pregnancy, though, was this cloud of uncertainty. And you're going to have things that happen like that. So doctor program, second pregnancy, and there's a whole host of things. Standing up to a, a, a boss at work, all kinds of things that prepared me to do something unimaginable in 2003. And God's going to work the same way in your life that he did in mine and that he did in Joshua's life. Um, and so looking back at doctoral program, at pregnancy, at all these things, I can see clearly now that God was with me and for me. But if you had asked me in the middle of it, hey, is God with you? I would have been like, I hope so. <laughs> is he? Doesn't feel that way. Okay, so I want to flesh that out today. And I want to talk about what does it mean to have, be strong and courageous? Because that's like the big phrase from Joshua, be strong and courageous. It's like this command, for, you know, with Gandalf saying it, okay? So, so today, we begin five weeks in the book of Joshua. Five weeks in the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at how God worked in his life, because how God worked in his life is how God's going to work in your life and in my life. And so today, if you have something in your life where the outcome is uncertain, or if you're facing an uphill battle, or if the odds are against you, I want you to know that you can count on God. I want you to know that you can count on God because, because God is with you and for you. And because God is with you, you can be strong and courageous. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Joshua. It's at, toward the beginning of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's like the sixth book in, I think. Right? I'm not good with my Hebrew Bible, so I don't have anyone giving me looks like, no. Okay, so, right? So, book of Joshua, Old Testament. Joshua, to a little bit of background, Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. And he saw the miraculous deliverance from Egypt. Think Prince of Egypt, the movie. And he was around for the wandering through the wilderness part that the Israelites experienced. He was a warrior we know that there's a, there was a moment in which he was selected and he led the battle against the Amalekites. And everybody was kind of like, this guy is George Patton. We want him to lead us in battle. And so he had a, he was, he had a military strategist mind and ability. Uh, then he was selected as the assistant of Moses. And he's listed in scripture as being with Moses on the mountain, being Moses' assistant, Moses taking him everywhere. Then he was one of the ten spies that were sent out into the land to kind of scope it out. And when the ten spies came back, if you'll remember, eight of them were like, Oh my goodness, there's giants in the land. They're going to eat us for lunch. And it was Joshua and his friend Caleb. They talked just like that, only in Hebrew. Um, it was Joshua and his friend Caleb who did the, No, we can do this. God is with us. But everyone sided with the eight and not the two. And so, finally, in the book of Joshua, Joshua becomes the leader of Israel. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Joshua 1, and we're going to look through the first five verses, and then a little bit, verses 6 through 9. So, Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you'll be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to, in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the lands of the Hittites. 
no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. That's some good stuff. Now, I want to make a comparison to kind of get a sense for where Joshua is here. Joshua is following in the footsteps of Moses. Everything in the first five books of the Bible, everything was leading up to this moment of getting to the promised land. God's going to fulfill some of the things that he's promised. And Moses has been the guy, the big predominant figure to get them there. Only now Moses isn't in the picture anymore. So what does it mean when everything that the first five books of the Bible is leading up to begins with a funeral of the guy everybody thought was going to lead him into there? Americans felt the same way in 1945. In 1945, a man by the name of Franklin Delano Roosevelt died. And he died in April, less than a month before the Germans surrendered. And so Americans at that moment, 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had led America out of the Great Depression. He had been, you know, and and that was a traumatic time for America, okay? And Americans weren't so sure. How's this going to play out? And everyone in the country thought, we've won in Germany, but this thing in Japan, this is going to take forever. And we are going to lose so many more of our sons and our fathers and our uncles because they are not going to give up. And this is going to be hard. And who is this hairy guy anyway? Uncertainty. Can you imagine being Harry Truman and being told Roosevelt's dead and you got to face down Japan? Joshua, I'm telling you, probably felt a little overwhelmed, a little nervous. He probably had some self-doubt going on. If he was normal... Right, And God says to him, I'm going to be with you the exact same way I was with Moses. Everywhere you set foot, you're going to get victory. That's quite a promise. Okay? There, so here's a principle that I want to draw out for you. Principle number one, right? Moses may die, but God's promises live. I love the way Warren Rearsby puts it. God's workers die, but God's work goes on. God's workers die, but God's work goes on. And it's because of this thing. I will be with you. It's the same promise given to Moses in Exodus 3, and it's the same promise that the Gospel of Matthew starts with. There's a baby that's going to be born. It's Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means what? God is with us. And at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of all things. Okay? End of the age is what most Bibles put. Okay? So it's this promise of presence. So here's the deal. The strength and courage that Jonathan has in chapter 1 is not his own strength and courage. This isn't a, all right, Joshua, grit your teeth, buck up, buddy. Let's muster some courage from the inside out. Let's go get him. Come on. Hoo-ya, hoo-ya. It's, it's not that. It's I am with you and I am for you. And because I am with you, you can be strong and courageous. 
The strength and courage is derived from a confidence that God is with him. Come on, if you were convinced that God was with you and for you, absolutely convinced of it, wouldn't a lot of the things that you worry about kind of evaporate? They would. Right? Hebrews, 3, uh, Hebrews 13 puts it this way. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? All right? So let's look at the next several verses here. All right? So verse 6 and following. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And again, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We can keep those verses up there for a minute. So, I'm with you. I'm with, you catching a theme here? Is anyone catching a theme? I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, okay? This is a big deal. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm for you, okay? Strength and courage are rooted in that. And then he's told to do something. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Meditate. The, the word there is uh, mutter. It's, it's coming out of your tongue and your mouth. You're literally kind of chewing on the word of God. And here's what, here's what Joshua 1 is telling us. Careful, constant study of God's word leads to obedience to it. Lack of study leads to lack of obedience. That's how it plays out. Okay, and so success, then you will be, quote, successful in everything you do. Success, I want to remind you, success isn't when you go to a really cool conference and somebody's got an idea and you're like, that's a killer idea, that's awesome, I so need to do that. Success is not um, an amazing worship experience. Success is not a a series of prayer walks. Success is not uh, uh, reading a book by a best-selling Christian author so that you can have your best life. Success isn't any of those things. Success comes from meditating on the Word of God in such a way that it leads to obedience. All right? Jesus says the same thing. Jesus is asked, uh, Jesus is told, um, hey, your, your family's here. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Whoever does, I don't get this right, anyone who does the will of my father that's my mother and my brother and my sister. In other words, obedience, people who are obeying God, that's my family because we all have that in common. So Joshua, Joshua is able to lead the Israelites into Canaan because he believed that God was all-powerful, that God always kept his promises, and that God would always be with him. And as we start off this series in Joshua, I want to say to you something that you doubt. And for those of you that are younger, trust me, it will get there. You will doubt it if you haven't already. There are moments in your life you do. You doubt that God is with you. You doubt that God is for you. Oh, he's for your neighbor. She's got this new SUV and their marriage is going awesomely well. God is with your cousin, you know, the one that got the raise. 
God is with your friend that you met at the soccer field. They don't have the disease or diagnosis you were just given. See how this plays out? You doubt. I do the same thing. I'm tempted to do the same thing. The Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible tells us otherwise. God is with you. Jesus himself spoke these words. He is with you and for you. All right? Let me ask a couple of questions in light of this passage from First Joshua 1. Have you ever felt the outcome of something was uncertain? Have you ever faced an uphill battle where you needed to trust God's promises? Was that really all that easy? No. In what way has God reassured you of his presence? Strength and courage is rooted in a confidence that God is with me and God is for me. And you develop it like muscle, right? So if I were to say to you today, right now, I'm going to bench press Chris Train. I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm going to do this, right? How many of you would bet money on my capacity to do that? Come on, one, one, one out of a hundred. I think I just said his name. <laughs> Okay. Here's the deal. Even though I'm an ectomorph, I could drink whey powder five times a day and begin really bench pressing. And if I worked really hard in about two years from now, I probably could get close. <laughs> At least up to Jillian Vanderpool. I could probably, okay? All right? I could. So here's what I want you to know about God is with me, God is for me. It, it starts in small ways. For those of you that are younger, you're teenagers, you're gonna, you might get an opportunity and you go and, uh, to go on a summer mission trip. And you say, you feel like God wants you to do that, and you say yes. And, it, and it's going to cost $1,500. And your mom and your dad are like, dude, we just had to replace the water heater. And, you know, there's no emergency fund. There's nothing. We, you know, we can contribute. Hun, what do you got? $2.50. Here you go. Okay? And so you've got $1,500. And you're like, how is this going to happen? God, I felt like God wanted me to do this. And I, ugh. And then all of a sudden, you write letters. Some other things happen. You go on the trip, and $1,500 came in. And it, it, it's a muscle-building thing. Because you're like, you can look back, and you're like, well, God, God came through there. God did something there. And then, you know, it, it, uh, little things. You get into later in life, and you're young, and you, you feel like God has opened a door and is going to give you this job in Cleveland, okay? And everybody's prayed about it. You sought wise counsel, the whole yard. I know, Cleveland, who wants to live there? <laughs> Some people do, just like they want to live in Akron and Dayton and all these uns, okay? So, but you go through this process, and boom, the job the job comes through. And it's another muscle-building thing. There are muscle-building things. And there are muscle-building things when things don't turn out the way you want them to. Sometimes you pray for something, and it doesn't happen. But two, three years later, you look back and you see how God was with you and for you and sustained you, and you grew and you trust Him more. And you're like, it's, it builds muscle. So what I want to say to you is that strength and courage develops over time as you are confident that God is with you. 
Strength and courage develops over time as you trust God in various circumstances and situations, and it's like a muscle. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I found this to be true in my own life. This passage to me, this is a personal passage for me. In 2001, on the heels of a Franklin Graham crusade and going to a, a stupid conference in Atlanta, Georgia, where a guy talked about courage, I came across this passage in Joshua as I was reading through the Bible, and I felt God speaking to me just like he did when I was reading through Matthew 6 when I was 11 years old and felt like God was calling me to pastoral ministry. And it was, it was a clear sense from God. I want you to start a church. I want you to start a church. And Max, the great rationalizer, had a thousand reasons why that was just so not true and not for me. And I was scared, and I didn't want to do it. And I spent the next year and a half, two years, fighting and wrestling with God. Hey, God, I think you got it wrong. I think what you meant was... Okay? But I had this sense, and I had this burning thing on the inside. Because the church was hemorrhaging young people, and I wanted to create a church context that wasn't just old people in church. And I wanted to create a church context that actually somehow cajoled, got parents to actually in some way disciple the hearts and souls of their children so that their children became men and women who valued God in his kingdom. It's crazy stuff. You're here today because at some point I stepped out in faith. There wouldn't be a Generations Community Church if I just went, no God, uh uh-uh, not going to do it. And there's risk. There was risk involved. There's risk today. It's risky stuff to, to, to follow God and do what he says, but I'm telling you, nine years later, after starting Generations Community Church, there are people in the kingdom today because several of us stepped out and decided to trust God and and start something new in Nicholasville. There are marriages that have been strengthened. There are people that have gotten out of debt. And there are parents who've said, you know what? I want my son, I want my daughter to value God in his kingdom when they grow up. Okay? Sometimes I... You may not have this, but sometimes... I have the question because I'm a pastor and pastor thinks about, think, think about, pastors think about these types of questions. How can a church of 100, 200 people change a city of 30,000? I'm convinced it's the same way the Israelites did. It's the same way the disciples did. It's rooted in a firm confidence that God is with us and God is for us. And so therefore, we are strong and courageous. There are a lot of old-time hymn writers that I think are mistaken about what going into Canaan means. If you read through the old hymns, a lot of people take Joshua and the Israelites going into Canaan like as a metaphor for death. So you'll have some hymns that talk about crossing the Jordan, you know, the stormy Jordan stormy banks, and it's all about going to heaven. I don't see it that way. I think they're wrong. And here's why I think they're wrong. I think if there's any kind of metaphor or symbolism for us today, post-Jesus, it's that Jesus Christ is our Joshua, who wants to lead us into all the treasures of God's promises. And we need to follow him and trust him the way the Israelites followed and trusted Joshua's leadership, knowing that when we get in there, guess what? There's going to be battles. There's going to be Jericho. There's going to be I. There's going to be all kinds of things. It's not going to be easy. But at the end of it, there is the Sabbath rest of God. There is the land flowing of milk and honey. There is all of the treasures that God has promised. 
And so I want to suggest to you today that Jesus Christ, for us, is our Joshua. And he wants to lead us into a place where we can experience all that God has promised. And really, this group of people that went into Canaan, all they had known was slavery. And then that generation died off. And the generation that got in, all they knew was wandering around. And God's miraculous provision, but wandering around with no real place to call home. God did what he promised. You can count on God. God will always, always, always keep his promises. And so I want you today to know and to have the confidence that God is with you and for you. I want